If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to another expert episode of the podcast. I am so excited to share this guest with you guys today. When I knew that I was going to be interviewing her, I started realizing how many questions that I get around this topic. And I've been so excited to be like, just wait another couple weeks and you'll love this podcast episode. But I'm joined today by Dr. Jenny Tates, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, She is board certified in cognitive behavioral therapy. She is also the assistant clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at UCLA. Her writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. She was most recently on the Call Her Daddy podcast. And today we are talking about her book that she authored, How to Be Single and Happy, Science-Based Strategies for Keeping Your Sanity While Looking for a Soulmate. And... I read her book in prep for this interview, and I was so blown away by how useful it was. While I was reading it, I kept being like, oh my gosh, this is going to help so many people because it answers so many questions that I get. So we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about why a breakup is so hard because the fear of being alone is so strong. So we talk about the different ways that we romanticize an ex or romanticize being in a relationship. She shares like research-based facts on how a relationship doesn't provide what we think it's going to. We talk about why you should not wait for a relationship to be happy. We talk about the role of mindfulness and how to be happy in the current moment. We talk about how living in your values is is so important and can actually provide almost 99% of what a relationship would provide. So if you're someone who has a fear of being single, if you're someone who's never been single before, if you're someone who is in extra pain from your breakup because of that fear of of being single, this is going to be such a powerful episode for you. I was actually referred to Dr. Jenny Tates from a former coaching client who said that her book literally changed her life. So I highly recommend not only listen to this, but also go and get her book, How to Be Single and Happy. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And here is Dr. Jenny Tates. 
Welcome, Dr. Jenny Tates, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is such an honor to have you on. Thank you, Kendra. I'm excited to talk to you. So I you know, gave a little bit of your background in the intro, but I would love to hear how you really chose this like specific niche of helping people. I think it's it's like such an underaddressed thing of learning how to be happy single. And so I'm just so curious as to like how you honed in on that. I'm super lucky in that I get such good ideas from the people that I see. And so I was seeing repeatedly clients who said to me, this is my first time in therapy. I feel terrible about myself. Dating is really like taking a toll on my self-worth and making me feel down and depressed and hopeless in ways I've never experienced. And so when I heard that enough times, I really realized that this was something that affected so many people and so many people that couldn't necessarily afford to meet with a professional. And then the thing that came with that was also so many of these people were quoting me lines and telling me the books that they were reading that seemed really sexist. And honestly, if they weren't so upsetting to me, they would, I would say they were comical. I mean, books that were suggesting, you know, prescribing settling and get that guy. And, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful and name books in the genre, but you're welcome to check out the best-selling books in the (laughs) genre on Amazon. And I just thought the people that I meet are so great. And it's so sad that the message that we get when looking for love is there's something wrong with us, or we're not playing by the rules, or we need to act bitchy or act like a man to find love. And so I really thought the whole space was missing an evidence-based, compassionate perspective. And I also, on a personal side, I really got it at the time that I was seeing clients struggling with dating. I was also dating myself and I love people and feeling validated, I think is one of the most powerful sources of joy and what all of us really want at the end of the day. And it's incredibly difficult to bounce back after feeling like you're meeting people that just aren't for you and, or you meet someone that you really like and they don't feel the same way. And so I personally got this, I saw clients that were going through it and I didn't feel like there was anything out there that was something I would want my future child to read or my best friend to read. Yeah. I read one of the books in particular that was like kind of referenced and when I was single and I remember being like, that's so not me. One that talks particularly about being bitchy. I was like, you know, I'm not bitchy. Like, is that what I have to do to like to get a partner? And so I remember feeling very much like, okay, well, this, you know, this doesn't make me feel good about being myself. So, you know, I wish I had this book when I was single. But I think like the big thing that I wanted to start with is this concept of why are people so afraid of being single? I think there's kind of like two parts of this. Specifically, so many people listening to this have recently gone through a breakup. So they're really kind of, and I know you talk a lot about like letting go of a particular relationship and moving into being single. And then there's also going to be people listening who have maybe been single for a while and are feeling in that kind of hopeless stage of, I don't want to be single anymore. So I would love if we could kind of start with like, why is it so scary to go from being in a relationship, even if it was a kind of a subpar relationship into being single? We all crave certainty, even if it's negative certainty to uncertainty. It's really hard. Most people that are driven and ambitious and clear on what they want do not like sitting with waiting and not knowing. And so it's really, really hard, especially with 
so many people out there kind of sharing in, you know, so many people tell me day in and day out that dating apps are worse than ever. And it's really hard to meet people these days. And so the combination of wanting something, not having a clear sense of how to pursue it, and then being told all around you that it's really hard to find, I think makes it really hard for people to, to sit with some uncertainty or sit with being with themselves without knowing what's coming next. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, there's even studies that show that people would rather be shocked, like at a higher intensity than with predictability, than have unpredictable, lower intensity physical shocks. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I do think there's the, like, especially on social media, there's this like culture of dating sucks, dating's hard, which, you know, I don't know. To me, dating wasn't necessarily fun or like, like super fulfilling, but I think it makes sense. It's rather stay in that relationship. And you talk something about the halo effect when we look back on our relationship with like rose colored glasses and just only latch onto the things. My ex was the best I'm going to get. Even if it was a bad relationship, we look back and see all the good. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think people, for whatever reason, default into questioning themselves, especially people that are really driven and growth oriented. And I I just want to say, like, right now I'm saying people, but I want to include myself in this. I think everyone does this. So I don't want you to think I'm separating you versus me or, you know, the listener versus me. I just want to say this is so normal. Like anyone that's, you know, wants an end goal, which is coupling and it has recently broken up, is going to think, hmm, like, maybe I miss saw this or was too picky or made a big deal out of nothing. And so I think it's, I, w- I want you to give yourself a pat on the back if you're going through that, because that shows that you're self-reflective and self-aware. But I also want us to remember that we, for whatever reason, kind of can selectively remember the good, especially if we're feeling lonely. I, I talk a lot about emotion mind, which is yeah. in contrast to reasonable mind, reasonable mind is just the facts. Emotional mind is when, our current state is really governed by intense emotions. So if we're feeling really lonely, if it's Valentine's Day and you're alone in bed and all of your coworkers, you're back in the office and all of your coworkers got some big, beautiful flower arrangement or some new bling on, I mean, it's understandable that you are going to feel intense emotions. And through the lens of intense emotions, it's easy to get into emotional reasoning, which is thinking that feels rational, but is actually emotional. And so it's really, really important to kind of realize what are the facts surrounding your breakup? Maybe you could have a list of the reasons you broke up or the things that you're looking for that aren't, you didn't have in your current relationship and be self-compassionate because the last thing you need, I mean, we would get annoyed with a parent or friend that was like, playing devil's advocate and suggesting, hey, maybe it wasn't so bad. I mean, we would, but when it comes to ourselves, we really kind of fall down the the deep end of doubt. Yeah. I loved that distinction that you made in the book between those two minds. And it's interesting because, you know, there's all this thing about like, trust your gut, trust your gut. But I, I do sometimes find that when we're in like a really intense situation, your gut's going to tell you to reach out to your ex. Your gut's going to tell you to like drive to their house. Like you get these very strong feelings that feel like a gut feeling, but it's at certain times we can't always trust our gut because it's, it can be governed by these really intense emotions. Yeah. What we really need is head and heart and really thinking about like pros and cons and being a good friend to your tomorrow self. And I love what you're saying. Yeah. And intense emotions seem instinctive, but they're also yeah. <laughs> governed by the wrong instincts. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
when someone's going through a breakup and they'll say like, I'm never going to find someone as good as my ex. And I think if we like took the time to write down what was so good about your ex, you would find that they were pretty standard characteristics. Like I can promise you're going to find someone who's like, can make you laugh and like, likes to go on vacation and, and things. They are very basic, but they can become like these huge things in our mind of I'm never going to be able to find that again. Right. I mean, I think it's when we're starving, it's easy to glorify things that never fill us up. But there are so many other healthier ways to be good to yourself. And, you know, I talk a lot about this in the book, but some of the things that make us miserable when we're single is believing that coupling is the only path to happiness or a huge part of happiness. And then another big thing is overthinking, which is certainly kind of questioning your decision, especially if that was made after a lot of thought and a lot of time and facts really clear, you know, evidence that you guys had different long-term goals and then also avoiding, and it's really avoiding the present moment and settling, you know, settling as a form of avoidance to be stuck in, you know, holding on to some alternate version of the past rather than really embracing the current, even if it's uncomfortable and you need to accept some amount of uncertainty. Yeah, I definitely want to get into a couple of things that you just said, like the rumination part that you talked about in the book. That's probably one of the more frequent questions that I'm asked is how do I stop obsessing about my ex and how do I stop it from being every single waking moment that I'm thinking about them? Would love if you could, you know, talk about that. Yeah, so there's so many tips and this is such a insidious habit because you could, I talk about this a lot in the book, but you could literally do this while you're in yoga class. So the first thing is being aware, like knowing when am I most compelled to ruminate? What brings me down? Is it when I'm alone for too long on the weekend? Is it after a certain time of night? Is it when I'm so scanning social media? So know your triggers or what are the times you're most vulnerable. Another thing is to really allow yourself to feel because so often we're just with our thoughts and we're kind of just skimming the surface. It's almost like a news ticker on a you know a news show. It's like just coming quickly and we're not really processing or absorbing. If you need time to process, like give yourself time to process. You could have 20 minutes a day at an opportune time that's not like you know, ruining the start to your day or making it hard for you to go to sleep. But let's say, you know, 7 p.m. to 7.20 is your time to do expressive writing where you write about your deepest thoughts and feelings about the relationship ending. So you actually can like dive in rather than just have like, you know, intrusive thoughts throughout the day. And another big thing is sort of swapping why with how sorts of questions. And so instead of thinking, why didn't we work out? Why isn't he ready? Why isn't she ready? Why you know, wasn't I happier? Or why didn't I meet someone sooner? Like, how will I move forward? How will I make today better than yesterday? How can I create peace independent of my relationship status? And so really thinking, because we think ruminating is problem solving, but it couldn't be farther from it. And so having ways to actually feel your feelings and actually ways to solve your problems that don't, aren't so superficial and actually torturous. I love that the difference between why and versus how. I think just those little tiny shifts can be so powerful and how like the language that we use with ourselves, especially during a time like a breakup is really powerful. And you also talk throughout the book about the idea of mindfulness. And I know for me, I really used to think like the only way to achieve mindfulness was through meditation. And which, you know, isn't necessarily the case. I would love if you could talk about the 
the role of mindfulness, because I think the best way it was described to me is like when something's happening right now, it's always okay. Like when I'm actually in that, I'm always okay. It's the thinking of like the what if or all of those things. But like being, I mean, in the moment is everything's okay. Always. I love that. Yeah. And and that's how I would sort of describe it, Kendra. It's being fully present in the moment without judgment. And so we can sit with emotions if we see them as coming in waves. We can sit with thoughts if we know that they come and go and we're the container, not the content. And the biggest, most joyful way to be mindful isn't just sitting with a meditation app, but it's actually living a life where you're fully present with what you're doing rather than thinking this moment would be so much better if I had a plus one by my side or I wonder if these people are judging me because I'm the only person single here. So being really fully present with what you're doing. And of course, it's inevitable that you're sitting at brunch and everyone else is coupled and you, your mind is going to go there, but it still counts as mindfulness if you observe that and describe that as, you know, emotion, mind or worry thoughts and come right back to the moment. And so it's not a kind of a one-shot deal, but it's a constant revolving door of opportunities to come back to the moment. And that's something that really creates happiness. That's what we know about happiness is that the more present you are in your life, the better your life is. It's like if we, if you knew magically that you were going to meet the love of your life, you know, next year, how would you be living moment to moment right now? And what a great question. Yeah. I remember when I was single, I had a mentor who was married, tell me like, you are going to miss this time at some point. And I know it's like really hard to say this to someone who is single and struggling, but I can honestly say like, I do really miss the times that I was single and could do whatever I wanted and could on a whim go on, you know, a girl's trip or, you know, just the freedom that that had. And I know you mentioned it too in the book, but like, I do really wish I hadn't spent so much time single wishing that I wasn't single. And I think another thing that you talk about was really powerful is the anticipated aloneness, which I'm sure goes into like not being in the present moment, but, you know, thinking not just, okay, I'm single right now, but like, what if I'm single forever? What if I never meet someone and what that can do to us? So I would love if you could explain that. One thing that can be really motivating is thinking about the pros and cons. Like what are the pros and cons of dreading this time and expecting it's going to go on forever? And what are the pros and cons of enjoying this time? And some people worry that dreading, if they're not miserable during the time, they're going to be too comfortable and not put in the effort to go on dating apps. But because it's such a primal desire, it's like hunger. Like we're not going to forget to to look for a relationship. It's just not, and actually being happy is likely to predict that you're going to pursue a relationship that that elevates you rather than, you know, is related to settling. And so I think really thinking about like, just what are the costs and benefits of approaching this with, you know, doomsday thinking versus present curiosity. And then in terms of anticipated aloneness, I love this phrase in case people are wondering, anticipated aloneness is a, is a phenomenon that experts researched, you know, telling people in a really compelling way, college students that based on trends in the population, it seemed quite likely based on their personality that they would end up alone. When told this discouraging news, because these people wanted to couple, they performed more poorly than they had previously on IQ tests. And so when we're worrying about ending up alone, and we can really persuade ourselves even more powerfully than, you know, experts in a research trial, 
we're more likely to think in ways that aren't accurate and literally lose our minds. And so for people to really realize that when they're worried about the future, you know, with all due respect, I'm sure you're fantastic, but you're also not a prophet and why be your worst prophet? And so to really realize that any thinking about the future is inherently flawed and maybe we can approach kind of being present with curiosity rather than being a worst case scenario yeah. prophecy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's like people's biggest fear. I mean, if you ask a lot of people, one of their biggest fears would be like ending up being alone, ending up alone. And I think, I mean, I feel like someone once said like, you know, what gives you the power to like say that you know how the future is like going to turn out? If you looked back 20 years from now and like gauged your, you know, accuracy on whether you were able to tell the future it's like we're never able to and and I think the thing that I found that I think that I was most excited for you to talk about on this is we even aren't able to predict how a relationship will make us feel like I thought that was so interesting and even looking back it's like I remember when I thought a ring would change how I felt about myself I remember when I thought getting married would take away all of my problems and it's like it doesn't do that and the research that you used to back this up was was so fascinating yeah so I'm happy to to get into that so I mean a couple of things I think it's also really key to remember I just want to highlight this fact when we worry about ending up alone That is something that no one wants. I mean, that's people's, like you said, it's their worst fear. I want to remind people that being unmarried does not mean that you're alone. I love the way Barbara Fredrickson, who's a researcher at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill says it, you know, I'm going to butcher the quote, but basically, you know, assuming that a romantic partner is the only... path to connection is a reflects a worldwide collapse in imagination. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, like relationships do make us happy, but it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. I'm sure we can all think about so many people in our lives that have incredible support networks that aren't romantic. I'm sure those can be as rewarding and rich as a romantic one. So I think we need to kind of broaden our view of what aloneness looks like. And is that, are you really alone? Because then it would really be a a really worthwhile opportunity to pursue friendships as well. I was just going to say too, like, sometimes I think that this idea of like being happy single has to mean that you don't want a relationship. And I feel like it's also like, you can be happy and single and you know there's like the like i'm an independent woman i don't need you know i don't need anyone kind of a thing like it's okay to be happy and also have a desire to be like coupled in the future yeah i I love that you could be happy single even if you're not thrilled with being single forever yeah even if that's not what your goal is yeah sorry i cut you off with getting into the relationship stats. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of future relationships, making us happy. So many people think that the way to permanently elevate your sense of self-worth and create endless peace of mind and joy and fun and excitement and romance is through a romantic partner. But on average, experts that looked at a sample of more than 24,000 people found that on average, marriage increases happiness by 1%. And again, I'm not trying to say don't pursue a romantic relationship. I'm trying to say like, let's embrace the possibility for happiness now. And a lot of us are terrible at predicting. I mean, we think something's going to be the best and that only sets us up for disappointment. And we glorify things that we don't have. And minimize the things that we do. And so I think really being aware that our thoughts are just thoughts and the best thing we can do is specifically create a life that matters to us right now. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. So I'm trying to think of like a specific example for that. Like, let's say, you know, someone, you know, always wants to go to Paris and they're like, I can only go to the city of romance when I'm with a romantic partner. Like, and the thing is like, we can, you know, you could go to Paris now, like you can go as a single person. And I know coming out of a breakup, I've shared this story on the podcast before, but my ex introduced me to hiking and I like loved hiking and going through the breakup. I was like, well, I, I guess I have to lose hiking. You know, in my mind at first, I was like, oh, I can't hike anymore. And then I had to realize like, oh, no, I can do that single. I can do almost anything I did in the relationship single. If we look at it, like 99% of what we do in a relationship, we can do either on our own or with friends or anything like that. Absolutely. And I love the idea of really widening because I would say like one option is Paris, but there's so many other options. Yeah. And I and there's so many interesting things our minds do around that. I, I was just reading a new book, Real Life by Sharon Salzberg, and she shared the best little story that I think is so related to this. She was out with a friend of hers who's also a meditation teacher, and he was talking to someone and the person said, you know, I'd really love to move to Wyoming. And he said, well, what's in Wyoming? And he said, well, it's just so beautiful and spacious. And he said, well, there's a Wyoming in you you know, there's so much we can reach, like we can have a mini Paris without getting to going to Paris. And when we go to Paris, it might not meet our expectations. And so to really, but I think to really think about how would you live your life if you didn't feel like your life was on hold, or if you knew you were going to meet someone in the future, I just don't believe people should put their happiness on hold for any external circumstance. Yeah. I loved that. And I, I shared with you before starting, even hearing that like I felt like that related to 
in my own life at the moment, like not waiting for certain things to happen to be able to be happy or take care of myself or anything like that. And I also shared with you before you started, I was recommended to you by an old coaching client of mine. And she had said that your book completely changed her life. And the biggest thing that she said was was impactful for her was this idea of living in a values-based way and like a very like action-oriented values-based way as a way to like actually learn how to be happy and single. And I just feel like I'm 10 years sober. And when I was getting sober, like I learned how to be happy and sober by changing my actions and taking different actions every day and realizing like, what kind of a person do I want to be and acting in that way. And so I feel like it's very similar in that. And I'd love if you could talk about that values-based approach to how do you, you know, being happy now and living a life you enjoy now. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm always so touched by words of readers and it really means a lot to me to hear that. And I congratulate you on your sobriety. That's a huge, huge accomplishment. In terms of values, I like to separate values from goals. And so a value is how you show up. So you show up, you know, patient, curious, kind, and a goal is what you get, like an amazing first date. And so a value is really thinking about how do you want to author your life? How do you want to show up in your your life? And so it's really important to get really clear on, you know, what is the life, how do you, what do you want your life to stand for? And that really lends itself to things within your reach. So you don't feel like, you're just waiting for your life to start or your mood to help you along, but you have a lot of agency independent of, you know, what your mind is telling you or your emotions. Values are a huge way to motivate yourself to do something different. One of the best ways to get sober or to feel fulfilled is to have a really clear sense of your life purpose and what matters beyond the short-term instant gratification. And so I really encourage people because I think it's very easy if you're not happy with your love life to think that your whole life stinks, but having a really broader sense of what you want your life to look like holistically, you know, I encourage people in the book to create a pie chart of what are the various facets of your life that matter to you and what are values actions within each domain. So for example, health, you know, being mindful to move, you know, being mindful of your hunger cues and moving your body each day is different than a number on the scale. And that's much more inspiring and uplifting than rigidly punishing yourself for not meeting a goal. Yeah. And broadening that idea of connection or, you know, not feeling alone. It's like, there's so many avenues to that of friends and just, you know, fellowship and different, you know, I mean, you can feel like the example that just popped into my head, we were talking about you mentioned yoga class earlier, but like just popping into a yoga class versus going to like a yoga class that I always go to and like knowing like the people that I have there. And that feels so good and such a sense of connection that has nothing to do with like my romantic status or my relationship status. And if we think about it, I mean, if we, if people, you know, map out all the things that matter to them and how they want to show up in each area, a romantic relationship, I mean, I don't think it could be more than 20 or 25% of what matters in your life, especially if, you know, you're considering everything else. And, and then you could still, you know, feel like you're moving towards that with your values of being, you know, curious, non-judgmental, kind, acting, loving. Yeah. I think that, cause I, I know a lot of people, especially coming out of relationships, talking about like purpose, how would you encourage someone to change the mindset of like, 
my relationship is my purpose or someone who really thinks like, that's my thing. That's all I want is to be a wife or a husband or something like that. How do you encourage people to kind of change that perspective that's been maybe so hardwired into them? You know, I get messages from people. They've been in a relationship since they were like 16 they're with, and they've been together for like 20 years. And it's completely overwhelming to think of a life outside of that. Do you have any advice for someone who's in that position to really ask yourself what would you do if you were in a relationship and to really think about if you can do some of that right now maybe you would carry yourself like you matter and maybe you would feel good about yourself maybe you would go on hikes and pursue opportunities at work because you felt like someone was cheering you on and to really take some of those actions like because we actually don't need a relationship for all of those things and some people do tell me which I I fully understand that they want a romantic relationship because they really want to have a family. Yeah. And there are certainly other ways to start to pursue acting more parental or pursuing a path to parenthood, even independent of that. And so I, I do, both things are true. I don't want to say that you can do everything that you wanted with a partner without a partner, but you can certainly do a lot more than limiting beliefs suggest. And that's always like a tricky thing for me too, when people ask more specifically looking at it through the realm of of starting a family. But I do think that's very true that there are so much. And I, I think it was Esther Perel that said that like the things that we expect out of a romantic partner nowadays are like, it's a very long list of things that we put on like one particular person. And it's, you know, even through the realm of looking at like, if you were in a relationship, your relationship would probably be a lot more successful if your relationships were a lot broader and you had other people to go to for certain things and you got certain fulfillment from other people as well. Yeah. Relationships should be a plus one, not, uh, you know, fill half of you. Yes. The missing puzzle piece, which I feel like growing up, that was like, I would see that like on Tumblr and like all these like couple goals posts would be like, find your missing puzzle piece, find your other half. And Anytime I did that, it did not end well in the relationship. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the other thing we talked about, like not living your life in a way of what you can get. Another distinction that you make is instead of what can you get, what can you give, which you probably wouldn't necessarily relate automatically to like how to be happy is like thinking about what you could give, especially in the relationship space of, you know, being single. Can you talk about like why that's an important distinction, how we think about how we're living our lives? Yeah. So much around happiness has to do with contributing. You know, people, there's studies that find that spending money on yourself versus spending it on someone else, people get a lot of joy out of giving back to others. And so often we think like, oh, I'm my most generous self with a romantic partner, but we can really take a step back and think about how can I give even if I'm not in a romantic relationship, because that's a core current value. That's a huge component of happiness right now. There's so many people that could use a pick-me-up. So I really encourage people to really think about what are the ways you can be the version of yourself that you want to be, even if there isn't someone that is naturally like the most compelling person to to share some of those feelings. Maybe, you know, I talk a lot about this in the book, but I got so much out of visiting a woman in hospice when I was struggling with a breakup. And that was really important to me to feel like I am a loving person, even if I don't have a lover. And and there's so many ways to give these days. I love recommending different volunteer websites like Volunteer Match and I don't want people to feel like, you know, 
they haven't found love and they need to find a volunteer thing. But to yeah. think if, if one of the things that you're missing in your life is giving back and you would normally do that in a romantic relationship, what are other ways to expand that? Yes. I think that was honestly very, very pivotal in my breakup was, was volunteer and, you know, coming from the 12 step recovery space, that's like a big thing that's instilled. So I felt really lucky that I did have that instilled because the way I was taught it is like, yes, there's like great ways that you can volunteer. And I joined like a couple committees for like different charities, but it's also like a matter of like, if you see a shopping cart out at the grocery store, like just like walking it back to like put that away or holding the door open for someone or just, it can be like the littlest thing. And I think too, especially when you're going through a breakup, I think different relationships go through like gives and takes, but when you're going through a breakup, you're typically talking to your friends a lot and you're you kind of just keep talking about yourself, which yes, there's like, we need to process things. But I know for me, when I'm too self-focused, I start not liking myself as much. So asking other people how their day is going, even though, you know, you feel like you have a lot to say and you need to talk about it, asking someone else how their day is going can get you out of that rumination. And I think that's a great way to get out of the rumination is to ask someone else, how's your day going? How can I help you? It's a great way to get out of your head. I love that. Yeah. And just to piggyback on what you're saying, I think, you know, it's so easy, especially if you're just looking at social media to think you're the unluckiest and have nothing going right in your life. And to actually have some perspective is so helpful. I remember feeling so stressed in graduate school by exams and volunteering, you know, once a month at an overnight homeless shelter and realizing like my exams actually aren't that stressful. Um, there's a lot more going on is even though my, you know, person, like my mind is telling me otherwise. And I also think there's such power to, you know, positive emotions lead to positive emotions and doing something small and nice for someone is going to make you feel good and make them feel good and creates like kind of an upward spiral. And it is a huge break from self-focus. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I wanted to end on is how can someone utilize these tools? Like mindfulness, the values-based approach when they're actually navigating dating. I think like aside from just not engaging in dating at all, you know, and just really focusing on learning how to be happy and single, what are different ways that people can navigate the dating space a little bit more mindfully or in a way that makes them feel better about themselves? This is such a big question. There's so much here. Yeah. I think a, a first thing would be to really focus on what are your values and what are the values you want to bring to a relationship and what are the values that you want someone else to embody as well. Because I think it's so easy, especially with dating on apps, to just be very focused on attraction or, you know, kind of a resume or what's if someone is funny or something. So to really get clear on what actually matters and be intentional around that so we don't get lost in the instant kind of things that grab at us. And then I think it's also really important to your life should kind of be reflective of your value. So it's so easy to swipe all day or when you're with friends or multitask and not do the, some of the things that you have been wanting to do because you're kind of giving this so much of your headspace and, you know, with text back and forth. And so to really be thoughtful about, again, if this is a small percentage of your life, how can you budget your time in a way that reflects that and doesn't shortchange the other things that matter to you? And I think a huge value I would say I really hope everyone embraces is self-compassion and to really be kind to yourself in this process and be 
watch if you're making it so much harder for yourself by expecting the worst and second guessing yourself at every step. It's really hard to feel perceived rejection or feeling like you're meeting people and trying your best and it's not going the way you want it to. And so to really, how do you want to treat yourself? How do you want to show up for yourself? That's so important. And I, especially someone coming out of a breakup, it's just so easy to allow the first date you go on to determine like how all of your dating is going to go. Like we use it. Like I always tell people, like, if you can imagine your first date after a breakup, not going well, how does that sit with you? Like if that's going to destroy you, it might be a little too early to to start dating. And like, I mean, you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about being in the present moment with your feelings, but like a bad date can just be a bad date. It doesn't have to hold any more meaning than that. Because I know for me, like when something goes wrong and I start making it mean like this is how it's going to be forever never going to get easier. I'm unlucky, like just make, you know, making it mean so much more than it does. And just, you know, staying in the, in the moment of like, okay, I, I, I had dinner at a new place. I met someone new and that, and it didn't go well, but that's, that's okay. Exactly. And I think that takes kind of strategizing and preparing. And that's a huge way to bring mindfulness in to kind of mentally rev up instead of worrying or dreading or rehashing. So you make a bad day and a bad night or yeah. that week um, to really strategize ways to be mindful. Yeah. And I loved what you said too, about like, if we looked at the pie chart of the most important thing, like if a relationship's only going to be at most 25% of your pie, you know, don't spend 75% of your time doing that. Cause I think that's when people get really into the obsession and the rumination of, I haven't heard back from them. Should I send them that, you know, and I've been in that space of like, should I send them? How long should I wait before I reply? Should I let them plan this date? I initiated the last date. Should I do this? And it just can become endless. Endless. Yeah. And overwhelming. And taking a toll on yourself. Yeah. You lose yourself in this search for a relationship. Yes. And that's the thing too. It's like, if you're losing yourself trying to find a relationship and you don't find a relationship, what are you left with? Instead of like finding yourself, finding that happiness and then you know, if you f- do find someone that adds to that, then that's amazing. And if not, it's also amazing. You're still okay. I love that. To end, I would love to ask, what's like the biggest thing you hope someone like takes away and maybe starts? I love giving like very actionable tips on this podcast. And what would be like the biggest thing you hope someone would walk away from and maybe can start implementing right away in, in their quest of of learning how to be single and happy? I would love to end with a quote by Hafiz. Okay. I wish to show you in loneliness or in darkness, the astonishing light of your own being. And I would love for people, instead of wondering what they did wrong or what's wrong with them, to offer themselves loving kindness. May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I live with ease? Instead of attacking themselves constantly, because actually the most proven path to improving after something that you're, you regret is regrets laced with self-compassion. And so I'm not just saying to, you know, accept yourself the way you are and not do better, but beating yourself up isn't going to help. And you don't deserve to wait for love to live better. I love that. When you were saying like my therapist from like years ago, so that just brought up a lot of good feelings. No. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope everyone gets your book. I 
like I mentioned, it was great for me to even read. So it's assume available everywhere. I, I got it, the audiobook, so you can get it anywhere books are sold, I assume. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kendra. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.